0: Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the STEM Everyday Podcast.
1: Welcome to the STEM Everyday Podcast.
0: As always, I'm your host, Chris Woods.
1: Putting STEM into every classroom, every day.
0: Well, thanks for joining us on this episode of the STEM Everyday Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chris Woods. You can find me on Twitter at DailySTEM, and we reach out to all sorts of people doing amazing things with STEM, helping helping add more science, technology, engineering, and math into your everyday classroom. And with us today, special guest, Rachel Mann. You can find her on Twitter at RachelEDU, that's R-A-C-H-A-E-L, make sure you spell that correctly, um, or RachelMann.co. And she recently wrote a book titled The Martians in Your Classroom. Besides being a former teacher and a, and a professional development director, she is an author. So welcome to the show, Rachel.
1: Oh, thank you, Chris. It's great to be here today.
0: I am so excited to have you here to tell us about Martians in our classroom. That sounds scary.
1: <laughs> well, it's really not scary because you, most of you, if you're listening and you're an educator or if you have children of your own, you're actually around these Martians every day. So the first person to set foot on Mars has already been born and could have. Quite literally, be a student in your classroom.
0: Wow! How cool would that be if if a kid in, in my classroom uh, this year is is the first one to step foot on Mars? That's yeah. that's crazy to think about.
1: be the first uh, colonist you better have good relationships with them so they can skype in with your class from mars
0: (laughs) yeah although there might be a little bit of a delay i think yeah,
1: slightly
0: (laughs) well tell us rachel uh how did how did you end up in in education you're you're actually a coal miner's daughter from west virginia but you ended up in education
1: Yes, I grew up in West Virginia. I actually did not like school growing up. and- Really, a,
0: <laughs> a kid that didn't like school growing up?
1: I know it's shocking, right? <laughs>
0: shocking. All right.
1: <laughs> and uh, it was, and I remember my father telling me growing up that um, that I will be a teacher someday, and I said, I will not be a teacher someday. <laughs> <laughs> and I was very emphatic about it. However, I uh, it ended up um, going into education and after they had dropped a program, I planned on going into art and they had dropped the art program at the school I was at and decided that this would be a direction I could go in and then I could always switch careers if I wanted to. And then during my student teaching semester, I uh, um, Columbine happened and mm-hmm. I, I, I remember being at the gym on a treadmill and seeing the news and realized how important my job was and right. couldn't, couldn't help but think about, you know, the teachers that would have been the teachers of the shooters. You know, how would you feel? Is there something you could have said or done? Could you have caught this? Like what could have been done differently? Right, right. And I went back that night and I revised my lesson plans and I used a book called The uh, The Highly effective habits of. Oh, I'm going to get this wrong. It's Sean Covey, who's Stephen Covey's son, and he would yep. written a student version of the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People for students, and did a unit on that. as just kind of a way to, uh, to to introduce this whole concept and get to know the kids and help them deal with what had happened. But I realized that you know this was this was the right place for me. Yeah,
0: yeah. And so so you, know, so you ended up you ended up doing. Um, as you got into teaching you ended up in the in a cte program now when we hear cte today it's getting popular again we hear shop classes in our minds but <laughs> it's far from it right
1: it, it is and that's a common stereotype people think that it's the, uh, that it's the home mag, the shop classes of the days that they grew up in, and it's nothing like that. I was at the Arizona Science Center with a group of folks exploring their maker space. It's called the Create Center, and I had a, someone mention, they were just like, wow, you know, this kind of reminds me of of the classes we took in high school, like with all of the different woodworking pieces, and you have some electronics, and, you know, whatever happened to those classes. And basically, a uh, career ticket is It takes those classes, puts them on steroids, and then makes it very applicable to cutting-edge careers that that are very relevant and high and in high demand, such as anything from biomedical classes to um, we have our law enforcement where kids are learning how to go and look at forensics and crime scene investigations. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. (laughs) Lots of science and technology in that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, we still have our our culinary classes, but it's not, it's very much geared towards industry. And that's what I taught was culinary arts. And it was very much of industry kitchens. Kids were learning to work as if they were running their own restaurant. And what, what an amazing opportunity as a kid to actually try out this career and find out if it's right for you and to develop these skills that they'll be able to use in the workforce.
0: So, so a kid, instead of coming out of school saying, oh, I learned in my, in my home ec class how to make grilled cheese sandwiches, uh, they come out knowing what is it like to be in a kitchen? How do you make those orders? How do you, how do you balance the, the sheet, right? And right. Make, make a profit.
1: Absolutely, and in many cases, they're also leaving with industry certifications, uh, scholarships to go on into that career and take it to the next level, or in some cases, I had a student who, he was in this competition where he could win a cash prize or a... A job right out of high school to work at this resort in the culinary department, and he chose to go right into working for this uh, this uh, just one of the most famous resorts in uh, in the world. And he decided wow. to go in that direction, which is just uh, amazing and amazing mm-hmm.
0: opportunity. The the options that are available to kids if they're if they're willing to work hard and and learn those skills that that we're providing in a lot of schools it's it's incredible and and good yeah. job Rachel for doing that for so many years. Uh, you started moving on to, to things. Now, I, we're going to get to the, the book that you wrote called The Martians in Your Classroom. And again, we're talking about Rachel Mann. You can find her on Twitter at RachelEDU. Uh, but but after that, you you founded, you, you came up with this thing called Teach Like Ted. And, and Ted is not a person, right?
1: <laughs> Ted is not. Uh, Ted, Ted stands for Technology, Inter- Entertainment, and Design. Yep. And I uh, was working at the Arizona Department of Education after having left the classroom mm-hmm. and was asked to take over Educators Rising as the state director. And with that, one of my responsibilities was to train a group of high school students in how to speak in public along with leadership skills.
0: Oh, speaking in public, that's scary. It
1: is, it is, it is for everyone. It's And kids alike. And we started using TED Talks, looking at instead of using the traditional route of public speaking, we started breaking apart, examining TED Talks. What did we like about them? What were some things that we didn't like about some of them? And then applying what we were learning in our public speaking. And I say our because it actually did. I noticed it transforming my ability to speak in public as well. And I couldn't help but think as I watched these kids just transform and become a dynamic seekers. I mean, one of one of the students who I trained through Ed Rising, he's already he's nineteen and he's already done keynotes. He's uh, constantly doing uh-huh. speaking uh, seeking engagements at the national level because of learning how to communicate in a powerful way. But I had awesome. thought about my what I how I learned public speaking, and I thought, wow, this is something that teachers need too. And so, what started out as a presentation turned into a company.
0: Mm-hmm. And it, teach Like Ted.
1: Yeah, Teach Like Ted, hashtag silence. And, and, it's, and it's really about presentation literacy. So, not just looking at how to speak, but how to do deal with the different fears that come along with public speaking. How to you know, create presentations, so your slide decks, your visuals, how to engage with your audience and think about the brain science behind what helps you connect with your audience.
0: And, and as an educator, those are the kind of lessons that, that we use every day, whether we think about it or not, how we're communicating with the, the audience that we have of 25 kids in a classroom that um, have not bought a ticket, they just had to show up for mm-hmm. our, our presentation.
1: Absolutely. And I think that we owe it to our students to be uh, dynamic speakers and be able to to communicate in a way that they'll listen, but also to be able to teach them how to communicate in a way that as they're uh, developing these awesome ideas around STEM or career tech ed or any of the different areas, how do you communicate those ideas in a way that makes an impact? So people want to use those ideas and do something with those ideas.
0: Yeah. Or or they might want to actually grow up and be a teacher instead of want to be anything but a teacher like some people I've met.
1: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's something we need a lot of.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so Teach Like Ted, if they want to find uh, information on that, what's the best way to find that, Rachel?
1: Uh, I, I would visit Twitter. Go to Twitter, Teach Like Ted on Twitter. I had just revamped my website. It was teachliketed.org and leadliketed.org. However, my publisher and I decided that we should go to something a little bit different. So mm-hmm. rachelman.co still has resources related to presentation literacy if you go into the resource tab.
0: Right. And, and, and one of the, one of the great uh, numbers that I saw that, that you shared in a TEDx talk that you actually got to give at Grand Canyon University was that 75% of people say they struggle with public speaking. That's, that's an incredible number.
1: It is. It is, and even the other twenty five percent, they they may have overcome that fear already. Some of them started speaking at a very young age or performing at a young age, so they really didn't have that anxiety related right. to it. But many of those people still, when the stakes are high, will still have that fear when it comes down to it. Wow. Well,
0: so, and and like uh, like you quoted in in that in that TED talk, the the famous Seinfeld little sketch where he talked about you'd rather be. In the coffin than giving the eulogy at a funeral because people's number one fear is public speaking and number two is death.
1: Yes, which is which is crazy, but yes, that's it. that really is what they've done. Multiple studies that have shown that.
0: I I just can't believe that. I, that. Boggles the mind. All right. So, so, so here we go. So you've you've done all that stuff, and and at some point you realized, hey, this this STEM thing is is really important. And you, how how did you end up coming to write this book called *The Martians* in your classroom?
1: As a classroom teacher, I always, some of my favorite lessons really involved the different STEM concepts, and at the time, I didn't even necessarily realize that, but I was always finding ways to incorporate the experimentation, the science, the technology into my classes, Mm -hmm. and then when I was working at the Department of Ed and doing the Ed Rising, uh, working as the Ed Rising State Director one of the big shortage areas is in STEM. When you look at the, the number okay. of teachers we're going to need in the future versus what what we show of people who are actually going into these areas to teach in these areas, there's a huge gap, and that means that we're going to have a shortage of kids going into these STEM areas. So that really, really caught my attention, and then I went to a 100K in 10 Summit in Houston, Texas, and there I was able to see all of the different ways that our world has evolved Connected to STEM, and just being there, looking at how the first step, the first person stepping foot on the moon, all of the technologies that resulted from it, all the inventions, the different uh, things that resulted from it, that was fascinating to me. And I was um, a couple years later, 2016. I was on a flight to LA. It was supposed to be Wi-Fi equipped and, you know, Phoenix, LA, really long flight, right? Right. Oh, yeah. So they switched flights. We had an old school plane and did not have Wi-Fi. And Uh,
0: how did you survive?
1: A whole hour. Uh. (laughs) It's ridiculous, right? (laughs) In
0: this day and age, there should not be an hour of our lives without Wi-Fi.
1: Right. Well, and so then I had to do the old school thing of read a magazine from the back of the airplane and as soon as I opened it up, I opened it up to the, the center, which was like a two-page huge image of, of Mars, and it said on there that the sky is no longer the limit, and it was talking about the impact. that that the next steps in space development would have on the world around us and I started reading the article and was just like wow this is so important for teachers to know uh, just what's coming down the pipeline so I added that to one of the keynote talks that I deliver and reached out to the uh, connected with the author Stephen Sanford who worked at NASA for many years um, connected with him through social media through Twitter and then also through LinkedIn and I knew I was going to be coming out to I was keynoting a STEM conference for in DC, so I reached out to him to see if I could interview him, yep. and our conversation went from an interview that was for a magazine to uh, co-authoring a book together.
0: Wow! So, so here you are, just a you know, I would say just a CTE <laughs> teacher who who ends up writing a, a STEM education book. It's available on Amazon. Again, it's called The Martians in Your Classroom. Um, incredible ideas, just, just helping kids and, and actually educators and parents alike to think through those huge leaps that we've made. You know, like, like one of the things you talked about, it's, it's, it was only 66 years from the Wright brothers taking off to landing on the moon at Apollo 11 and, and, and how much condensing uh, of that technology that we have going on now. Oh, yeah, yeah, because now we're taking all
1: of the uh, – instead of everyone reinventing the will, we have all of this information that we're building upon and collaborating with, and it's just that exponential piece is going to cause for the future for our students, for the Martians in our classroom, if you will, wow. uh, it's just going to change so rapidly that it's impossible to keep up in education, but that has huge implications for what we do as educators to make sure kids are prepared for this world.
0: So, so everyday kind of things, right? Every, every day, like you said, STEM is not just this small little niche category. STEM is really part of all the different things that we do, and and remembering and finding ways to, to add those pieces into our classrooms every day.
1: And and with that, I think too, we've got to blur the lines. We we hear this all the time. We've got to stop compartmentalizing education, but we have to do something about it. We have to show ways to really make that. Content relevant in every every content area, and especially using career and technical education as that playground for it to have yeah. it for them to be able to take those pieces, connect it to the workforce, and actually be able to experiment with them.
0: Yeah, how cool if uh, someday in the near future one of the CTE courses or classes was space exploration or astronaut science or wow.
1: And, and you know, and it should be. And I know that there is some collaboration happening at, at, between the CCE community and with uh, the uh, powers that be to, to uh, see how that could happen, what that could look like in the yeah. future.
0: And 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 again, it's it's small small steps that we could take, and I guess you could say, in giant leaps for mankind." Uh, if we want to <laughs> mix in our space quotes, um, but. But kids like STEM, kids naturally like it. And if we're just keeping it in it, like you said, compartmentalized, we're, we're doing a disservice to them.
1: We are, and I think that kids, when they're when they're young, they like STEM, but I don't think that they even know that it's STEM. You know, they're they're playing with these con these concepts, and they um, they're exploring. So it's not even necessarily that they understand it. And I think sometimes for older students, they hear the word STEM, they hear science, technology, the engineering part can be scary sometimes, and especially Mm -hmm. that. And I think that sometimes that we've got to do a better job letting kids know what it is, what it looks like, and. Mm -hmm. what they can do with it um so that it's not something that's that is this these scary terms for them
0: yeah so to a to a younger kid maybe an elementary kid stem is is play it's discovery it's creating it's making of course it's the math and science concepts that they're learning but it you don't have to be a rocket scientist as a third grade teacher to teach stem concepts right
1: Right, right, and in fact, you don't have to as a high school teacher either. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Like I, uh, my nephew last last spring, I was babysitting for them in Alabama, and my sister and her husband went on a trip for a week. And my little nephew, I, I asked him what he, what he wants to do, what are his big dreams, and he tells me that he wants to build a robot. And I asked him, okay, so what is your robot going to do? And he tells me it's going to have laser eyes and that it's uh, going to kill his sister. But he is <laughs> this time. So I told him, I'm like, well, why? I think first you need learn how to code and that way you can build an app and then kind of work up to this piece I, I don't know how to code but I sit him in front of code.org and while I'm making breakfast he does 122 lines of code so oh, wow. <laughs> you know We have so many resources at our fingertips it's just a matter of knowing where to find those resources yep. and giving kids that individualized education so that they can succeed in these areas that they're passionate about and then, sometimes they don't even know what the word passion means but it's stuff that they're excited about and it's and what to explore more
0: of. Yeah, and, and every kid has those passions, those excitements, those things that, that trigger them. Uh, and and that's, that's, a, that's an awesome thing when we can put those resources in front of them. And, and like you said, just give it to them and you're eating breakfast. They're figuring it out on their own. It's incredible what kids can do. It is,
1: you know, and I have this show what you know, learning menu for kids to be able to choose how they're going to demonstrate their learning. And it has different technology tools, such as, you know, they can create a blog post, create a, a, a cartoon, do a, you know, it's all, all different apps that they can use. So there's nine different choices. You do a flip grid, do a verbal response. Mm-hmm. And I've had, te- I've shared it with teachers who at first they say, oh, well, I don't, I have to learn how to use all nine of these. And I said, no, you don't. Don't even try to learn how to use it. Have the kids learn how to use it. Then they can teach you how to use it as part of their presentation.
0: Yeah. And, and some of those things, you could find them in the Martian book, right?
1: Yes, yes. That learning menu actually is in the book.
0: All right. So the Martians in your classroom, that's the book, uh, written by Rachel Mann and Stephen Sanford. Um, Rachel, awesome. Uh, great ideas. Uh, and again, you can find Rachel on Twitter, at Rachel, that's A-E-L edu uh, or rachelman.co all those things will be in the show notes of course um, what do you think what do you think real quick one more two more questions here right. <laughs> um, what, do you, what do you hope stem education looks like in the future
1: you know, I really hope that again, going back to blurring the lines, I think that if we see a more of a, a concept of classes merging to represent the real world and what could be kids exploring, kids innovating, and really focusing not only on mastery learning, but like as I mentioned in the book, this whole concept of frustrating learning, letting kids oh, yeah. struggle, struggle with ideas, and sometimes even coming up with these experiments that you know that they're going to. That, like I, I had, I did the science of cookies where kids had to create their own recipe Uh and they would show me the recipe and I would automatically know by, you know, they put one too many eggs in it. I know what's going to happen, but if I corrected that Mm -hmm. and didn't let them learn from experience, they wouldn't see the actual the actual results and learn from that experience. So they would create the recipe and then they would have to go back and look at the ingredients, what the function of each ingredient is and figure out what went wrong before they redo their recipe. It's it's frustrating and learning from their failures, but what a powerful learning experience. So I think that having those experiences in the classroom and then just individualized education, finding ways to really meet the needs of each kid to prepare them for their unique talents and skill sets.
0: Yeah, and and listening to you explain about the, that really that individual learning that goes on in the frustrating learning. I like that term, the frustrating learning. Um, I actually caught that in your TEDx talk as well. That was, I I like that. Um, But, but that idea that you actually understand what the egg does to the recipe if you use too many eggs or too few eggs. But if you just know, oh, I'm supposed to use two eggs, you don't understand. You don't know the reason behind it. We talk about the reason behind our learning all the time
1: right right and they're able to see oh wait it's a little bit kinkier so what does that mean when i'm making a cake or what if i do want a dessert that's a little cakey so so yeah it's a, it's a much more powerful way for them to learn and understand what they're doing well, with
0: these. and I, i'm guessing rachel you probably like all those uh, those shows on food uh, network right <laughs>
1: Oh, absolutely,
0: yes. <laughs> I, I, I had the chance to, um, I took my family to watch uh, Alton Brown on tour. and oh, I would Alton what, Brown. <laughs> and, and I tell you, that was an incredible experience for me sitting there as, as a science-y technology, you know, engineering math teacher, watching all this stuff unfold. And he's using liquid nitrogen and... and <laughs> and popcorn. Oh, the science of popcorn is incredible. And I'm just, I'm just soaking it in going, this is fun. This is STEM. This is awesome.
1: <laughs> the science of popcorn was one of my favorites. I just never really thought it through, but that was just a, a, a very easy concept to digest and especially for kids. But how fun is that?
0: Yeah. Well, um, again, we're talking with Rachel Mann. One last question for you. If you could have dinner with somebody, since we're talking about food, if you could have dinner with someone from STEM past or present, uh, who would you have dinner with to just have a great conversation.
1: All right. Right now, I'm really fascinated with Michio Kaku. And I'm right. also, I recently heard an interview where he was talking about education and everything we're doing wrong in education. So I would like to have a conversation with him about everything we're doing right because I think that maybe he's missing out on some of the really cool stuff happening in education. Yep. But also just to be able to pick his brain, brain about string theory and some of these other concepts that just
0: blow my mind
1: would be fascinating.
0: Wow. And and I will say that, that Michio Kaku is uh, one of the opening quotes in one of your chapters. Yes, you know, of the, the Martians in Your Classroom, which is on Amazon. And, and again, we're chatting with Rachel Mann, and it's been great uh, talking all these great STEM ideas with you today, Rachel. Oh, thank you. It's been wonderful being on the
1: show and chatting with you as well. Thank
0: you. And, and, and again, check out rachelmann.co. You can find her, find out how you can get her to come and speak to, to people around you. Um, Thanks again for listening to this episode of the STEM Everyday Podcast. For more great STEM ideas and interviews, subscribe to the STEM Everyday Podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast apps. And if you have any questions for me, find me on Twitter at DailySTEM, and I love the talks. You're listening to this podcast on the ESDAC Broadcasting Network. To find more information about this or other podcast shows, please visit remarkablechatter.com.